Hey, and welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. On BTS Podcast, I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do, which is what BTS stands for, is behind the scenes. So if you thought this was going to be about the K-pop band, I am so sorry to misrepresent the podcast to you, but hopefully you like it anyhow. This episode is with Erin Winterkorn. She is based out of Amsterdam. She's at Future Factor, where she is the Connections Director. Prior to Future Factor, she was at management events where she was the head of the AI and robotics segment, which means that she organized conversations from visionary leaders around the world surrounding artificial intelligence and robotics. So she created programs for AI and robotics events in Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Germany, and the Netherlands and helped connect a lot of these thought leaders with companies who could use their thinking. This episode was recorded shortly after ADE, which is the Amsterdam dance event, where she was the moderator on a panel about Article 17, which we get into a little bit, but mostly we talk about her experience organizing conversations and managing events, and we talk about what it's like being a woman in the technology space. I really appreciate Anand's thinking and her time, and I just had such a good time getting to know her and learning more about what she's gained from her experience in the tech sector in Amsterdam. Please do subscribe, rate, review, share this podcast with people you know. If you'd like to become a monthly contributor, you can go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast. If you would like to try any of the services that I love, which hopefully you like also, then there are ways that we can both benefit from that. And those are use my promo codes. I'm a huge fan of Soothe. Soothe provides in-home massages. You can use code LZLRZ to save on your first massage. A masseuse will come to your home. You can choose what type of massage you want. You can also select the length of time. So they range from 60 to 90 to 120 minutes. And if you have a preference in gender of your masseuse, you can also select that. I'm a huge fan. I love it. I'm a monthly subscriber and I find it a very great way to recover mentally, physically, everything. It's just definitely, to me, I would rather get a massage over a nice dinner any day. Other services that I love are Hotel Tonight. You can support this podcast by using my promo code for Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight is international. You can save on hotels around the world. Use LCOOK61 to save on your first Hotel Tonight booking. I am a huge fan. I have used Hotel Tonight in several countries for many years now. They have an excellent point system and an in-app concierge. And much like every other point system, the more you use them, the more you save on hotels. And their hotels are gorgeous. They have a wide range of really beautiful hotels around the world that use Hotel Tonight basically to fill empty rooms. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please do find BTS Podcast across social media at, at BTS the Podcast. And if you just search hashtag BTS Podcast, you can find it. Also, there is a Facebook group for guests and listeners. You can join it. Just look up hashtag BTS Podcast, guests and listeners, or maybe it's listeners and guests. Anyways, enjoy the conversation. I had a great time getting to know it and, and learned a lot from her. And I hope you do too. Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I am in Amsterdam shortly after ADE with Eren Winterkorn. Did I do your first name right? Yes, very good. (laughs) Thank you. So Eren is the Connections Director at Future Factor. And prior to that, you were at a company called, was it called Management Events? I think Management Events and you were the head of AI and robotics segment. So I guess to start off before we talk about like the behind the scenes of what you do, mm-hmm. can you explain what you do? <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. 
So if I have to describe my career in one word, it's basically networking. Mm -hmm. So I've been working on building relationships throughout both my previous role and my role now. Uh, in my previous role, I was curating events, um, building them from scratch, basically calling up people within a certain target group. Uh, in my last job, that was AI and robotics and doing research on what is uh, their strategy within the company, what are they working on, what are their challenges, to build an event from that with an event program, mm -hmm. uh, finding speakers to fit that program, and then connecting them with solution providers that match with their needs, basically, mm -hmm. with their business needs. So I've been building relationships within Fortune 500 companies there. Mm -hmm. And from that experience curating event programs, I started at the reputation management agency Future Factor. Mm -hmm. And what we do, we basically um, build visionary leadership or help companies find their visionary leadership and bring that to the earned media space. So either in media, on podcasts, but specifically also on stages. So I'm practically a contact person or a strategic middle person between event organizers and our clients and our team to find the right content for the right stages. That's so fun. Yeah. What a dream. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I really like it. So previously you were connecting companies with software they would need, right? And then currently you're more of getting companies heard in the right spaces. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And like within that, I took some notes from her LinkedIn just because I think you worded it really beautifully, which by the way, she has one of the nicest LinkedIn's I've ever seen. <laughs> so I definitely recommend if you feel like you need some inspiration for your own, pop over to hers. There will be a link of, um, to it in the description of this, but it's really beautifully worded to describe what she does in a way that I have definitely struggled with my own LinkedIn. Wow, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so congratulations. So um, what you were doing previously, and I bring this up because also you were there for many years, you were creating events, those events, but across Europe, it sounds like, like across yeah. the EU. So you'd list in Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Germany, and the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And then I loved also that you called out that you were looking for solutions for challenges surrounding new business models and implementation of AI. Mm -hmm. Or is what you're doing now still very focused in like the AI and robotic space or is it a little bit broader? No, um, we focus on innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, we work, for, for example, with a digital agency in, in Amsterdam that does AI projects. Mm -hmm. um, but we're focused broader um, also on companies that really believe in creativity as a tool for business growth and companies that are very focused on brand purpose, mm -hmm. uh, like improving sustainability and uh, finding diversity and inclusion within their business. So that's awesome. Well, yeah. how rewarding to know that like the efforts you're putting in on a daily basis mm -hmm. are laddering up to supporting solutions to everyday problems and problems of like the past and future. Yeah, but that's what we want these days, right? Yeah. We want companies that believe in something Definitely. and that reach something that's higher than just like commercial goals. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it is definitely. I am very thrilled to see it in the public discourse because for years it was not something I heard anyone talking about. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's because there wasn't 
as many platforms for people to talk about that, um, like prior to social media, where would people have been heard outside of tra like trade publications or like op-ed pieces in different like the New Yorker or whatever. So I think now us having social media and YouTube and everything that really helps. And also listeners, hopefully you can't hear it, but if you hear some clicking around, it's a, uh, it's a friend's dog. <laughs> We're not sitting here tapping our nails on the table. Really. <laughs> so, a very cute Corgi. He's a very cute Corgi. So you see a variety of dynamics at events and a wide amount of topics covered. And that, that got me thinking about a few different things. And so the first of which is have you encountered challenges when speakers on, a, on the same panel or same event have opposing um, ideologies or do you vet that ahead of time? So I haven't experienced any myself, mm -hmm. but actually at the past Amsterdam dance event, I heard that a panel needed, needed to get canceled because there was there were people from a Latin American country on it. Mm -hmm. And basically in a, electronic music in Latin America is for the elite. And the, really? Yeah. Like because it's more of the like the club bottle service scene, is that why? Yeah. Basically. Mm. And I don't know too much about it, I have to say, but mm -hmm. um, they had to cancel it because they just got into a raging fight about yeah, we can't focus on the scene, the clubbing scene in this country um, focused on electronic music because the music of the people is more like salsa and oh uh, like because it was like a classist Spanish. issue that's mm -hmm. interesting yes that's yeah. super interesting um well I'm very glad that that was not your panel <laughs> because that sounds very dramatic yeah definitely but I wish I mean I wish it would would have been because I, it would have been a nice challenge to get them on stage anyways. Yeah, Because agreed. that's when the interesting, the magic happens, really, if yeah. people don't agree. A lot of panels are so boring because everybody agrees with each other. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I agree with you because it would be great if we could disagree and have, have a conversation <laughs> about that. But I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with, I, I mean, I really can't think of a single culture where confrontation can be like a constructive thing I think mm -hmm. because that's not really human nature like we we see a lot of things as a dichotomy which um you know can be like well my opinion's right and yours is wrong versus going like oh obviously your lived experience is real and you arrived at this place somehow and I respect your intelligence as an individual so let's like figure out what it is that makes you think the way that you think, and maybe I can learn from it and vice versa. Yeah. But so oftentimes it is not that. <laughs> yeah. So that's a real challenge yeah. and super interesting, right? To try to achieve that. Yeah. That would have been fun. Mm. Um, well, maybe next time. Yeah. <laughs> so what to you makes a successful event? Why do people go to events, right? People go to events for the networking usually and to meet people. Mm -hmm. And I've been to really, really big events that don't do anything specific to kind of catalyze that. Mm -hmm. So I do feel that events that have certain structured networking setups, mm -hmm. those can be really successful mm -hmm. and that can help a lot especially if you're a kind of shy person and you don't naturally just go up to 
somebody you don't know, which is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. So if they have structured kind of interactive sessions or round tables or mm -hmm. set up one-to-one -one meetings or any other type of networking instrument, I think yeah. that's really good. That's a good point. So you mentioned round tables. What sort of round table setup do you think is like, have you seen be really successful in getting people to connect and really get conversations started? So I think that a really good table host is crucial and a good table host consists of somebody that doesn't necessarily want to give his own opinion, right? but is really kind of engaging people into joining in in the conversation mm -hmm. and to have a good um a good discussion topic that you know people disagree on yeah because you ha could have something like okay is brand purpose important for a company and then everybody's gonna say yes probably yeah so you need to think about a little bit more controversial uh questions or topics maybe yeah and probably open-ended i assume yeah definitely Sure. Yeah. What are what are some of your go-tos? Like, what are some of your favorites? Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> That's a really hard one. That um, was an open-ended question. I'm taking my own advice. I need to think about that a little bit. That's um, okay. We can also come back to it if you think of some later. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Oh, I just forgot my question. <laughs> so, actually, so you've obviously seen a lot of people speak. Mm -hmm. What have been some uh, some things that you've learned about public speaking or things that you've kind of picked up in terms of practice along the way um, about a good speaker? So a good speaker uses body language mm -hmm. as an instrument mm -hmm. to kind of amplify your point. Mm -hmm. So, and people can't see me doing this. I was but just if going you to have <laughs> <laughs> So if you like, making a list or something then you can move yeah. a bit which you... by the way to like uh play a game of like charades what she's doing is she's saying list is she's like mimicking out bullet points with her hands and you know as soon as she said to use body language i don't know if it was conscious or subconscious but even though this was just recorded she immediately started using her hands to express <laughs> Like she forgot she should be doing it in this moment. So that's a that's a good point. The body yeah. language is good. And what else? Yeah, it's really important that if you make a point that you stand still mm. and that you take up space. And I was just talking about this with one of my speakers that is really experienced. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women are kind of a little bit scared to take up space. Yeah. Um, they they usually sit cross-legged mm -hmm. and like maybe hold their arms as we both are right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you need to take up space to be able yeah. to make a, a strong point. So, which can be hard as a woman though, because I think we all know that when we stand a certain way, that then you look like a football player instead of a lady. You know, because we also, I mean, I imagine I speak for a. Uh, maybe not a majority, but I would venture to say that a lot of women, we still want to feel like we look good. And a lot of times looking yeah. good is closely associated with like smaller sort of like features and being smaller. So that is really hard to take up more space Definitely. as a woman when you have that as a value. Um, and maybe you don't want to stand with like your legs hip width apart, especially in a dress. It's just not comfortable. If you're in a pencil skirt, we can't. We physically... We'll break our skirt. <laughs> That's true. But you can practice. And I would really recommend to practice with this because you can stand with your feet like 
in front of each other, mm-hmm. but you can also mm-hmm. stand, and that's still ladylike. Like for example, if you just stand with your feet straight yeah. and have one knee a bit bent, then mm-hmm. you can still, and you're standing, for example, with your arms in your side yeah. or with your arms to out wide, then you're still taking up more space than when you have your legs crossed and your arms crossed. Yeah, and doing all your motions. Like what as she's saying this, she's also mimicking some of it. And one thing I noticed in that in the list of things to do, mm-hmm. a lot of your arm motions were out to the sides versus right in front of you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to clasp your hands, maybe consider putting your elbows out further or instead of gesturing toward the audience or toward the camera in front of your body to do it sort of on the outside of your body mm-hmm. and like I don't know if that like you're starting a cartwheel instead of <laughs> instead yeah. of going just straight forward okay and so yeah. and I like the point that you said that um that speaker I don't know if they mentioned all of this to you but I know that you mentioned the thing about like when you make a point to stand still mm-hmm. that's an awesome point I had not thought of that when I watched TED Talks but now that you say that I do recall that there's a lot of when they make a point they stop mm-hmm. and that acts as a nice sort of n- nonverbal punctuation Exactly yeah yeah definitely so what else So I think talking slowly is mm-hmm. also very important because when you're nervous, then people start to speed up, yeah. talk faster and faster and faster and faster until you can barely hear anymore what they're saying. Totally. Um, and the way to do that is really practice out loud mm-hmm. beforehand. So if you do your talk out loud beforehand, maybe once, twice, or even three times, then you know which words are kind of coming out wrong or which parts are a little harder to pronounce, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's really helpful, I think. That's good to know. Uh, and are there anything else, any other sort of things that you've noticed? What about presentations? So when we go to see a talk, we want to learn something, right? We mm-hmm. want to get inspired. So the most inspiring talks are always that have really practical takeaways Mm -hmm. and then if you have a talk with really concrete takeaways for really concrete challenges that the audience has Mm -hmm. then that's the best match that you can have yeah so well I mean with like powerpoints specifically you know when somebody has like a visual presentation oh god Uh, as little text as possible (laughs) I'm so happy you said that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Definitely just images. Mm-hmm. Basically, maybe one or two words is fine. Yeah. But the worst thing you can do is have a presentation full with text. Yes. Because then, and that's also what I was discussing with my speaker before. She's actually a speaker coach. Mm-hmm. So she tells the, the, or she says that people should be the director of the audience and you Mm -hmm. should be the director of kind of what you want to say and and your point. Mm -hmm. And you don't want the PowerPoint to be the director of the story, right? Absolutely, yeah. So if you depend on the PowerPoint that has all the text on there and to tell the story for you, then nobody's going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. there was a uh, festival I went to recently called Thrival, And I went to two back-to-back festivals. So one Mm -hmm. was called Thrival, and that was in Pittsburgh. And the other was SynBioBeta, which was focused on synthetic biology. And it was fascinating because there were three presentations I saw at Thrival that were all incredible. And mostly with 
mostly they, like you said, leaned on visuals. There was uh, Amy Blackman's presentation, and what I liked about it was that the visuals were great, but then also on each sort of section, she had the pull quote that you would want to say from her if you were tweeting it on the slide so mm-hmm. that you didn't have to like try to be typing furiously or writing it down if you're tweeting from the event. And then my friend Gary Gonzalez, who uh, he, his background is in esports strategy, mm-hmm. whenever he said his point, that's when he had the cue for it to go on the presentation. So you couldn't read ahead. Right. Which I thought was nice that like it had the numbers out, you know, like 93% of whatever and the statistics out there. But it was mostly visual, and as he said, every point it came across. But then I think what I saw that I loved, there was somebody from a robotics company named Bossa Nova. A, if you're listening to this, you should definitely watch their ad because it's probably one of the best ads for a robotics company I've ever seen. Just in terms of the awareness that, like, if there's a robot in your grocery store, people will notice. Like, it wasn't like the robots were interacting seamlessly with people without people turning an eye. Like, it was very good. But at the end... He had just his last closing slide had literally like verbatim the things that you would want to tweet from the talk, which if you're at a presentation hoping that people will tweet about it, mm-hmm. that's what you would want is just what you want people to say to make it easy. Um, and then in comparison, Symbio Beta, I learned a ton, but a lot of the presentations, because they're scientists, were like science poster boards. It was insane. Like everything was like huge charts and stuff on it where I was like, I guess I could dig into this if necessary, but it was impossible to focus on what the person was saying. Right. Because I was like staring at these charts trying to figure out like how they were genetically modifying vitamins to know what your body was doing and stuff like that. So I like that as a, uh, I'm glad we agree on that because I don't know what I would have done if you said (laughs) as much text as possible. I would have been like, can you elaborate on that please? (laughs) Pulling together speakers is a lot of work. Um, Yes. I don't even have to do it nine to five because this is just my podcast. And I will say that it is a lot of work even just for this podcast. What sort of tools have you used that help you plan effectively? That help me plan or that help me um, reach out to speakers? Well, the reaching out part, hmm. Because I imagine it's multiple phases, right? Like you're going to have sort of a research part where you're looking for people mm-hmm. and then you're vetting those people. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that part first and then we'll talk about the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So research, yeah, I used to do a lot of research over the phone. Uh, these days I do more research online by just reading articles mm-hmm. about the topic Yeah. and kind of snowballing from that. I read a name here and then search for different terms. and mm-hmm. uh, But before, yeah, you get a lot of names from research as it is. You, I always ask people, like, do you know any good speakers about mm-hmm. this topic? Um, or what kind of topics should, should be on stage? Mm-hmm. What kind of industries? Um, and then you start kind of making a dream list mm-hmm. who would be your top, top, top people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Going from there, basically approaching those first. Yeah. And are you making that list in Excel or are you using bookmarks to, to keep a list? I, I did used to make those in Excel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then you can write down like market in colors if you've approached them. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Other like practical tools I use are Google Keep. I love Google Keep. It's just like a very straightforward kind of follow-up list or to-do list mm -hmm. notes. And I use OneNote. I love OneNote yeah, because it's very structured. I love the tabs. Yes. I have an obscene amount of tabs. Yeah, same. And an amount of note notebooks, right? Yeah, definitely. Like four different notebooks with a million different tabs. My real life notebooks are no different. I, I'm like sitting here with a eight and a half by 11. How do you pronounce? Is it Lectern? Is that how you say the like notebook brand? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a, I want to say it's a Scandinavian brand. I only know Merleskin. Oh, which we just say moleskin. Moleskin, yeah. Which sounds disgusting. <laughs> this name of it is much nicer. That's when I true. first heard someone say that, I was like, oh, it's literally from like a mole? That's gross. <laughs> Why would I want one of those? Um, but anyways, I have one of my uh, aunts and uncles, they got me like a packet of notebooks and I have like one that's for creative thoughts and one that's for work thoughts. And then I have small like red ones. And so, but then I travel with all four of them because <laughs> so I just, there was, uh, there's been a few times where I've like misplaced one and been like, I can't do anything in that category because I don't have my notebook. So mm -hmm. yeah. So one note is much nicer because you can't lose that if you back it up. Um, and then once you've done sort of that culling and cultivation, and then, like you said, you keep track of who you're in contact with through the spreadsheet and mm -hmm. like tracking. Yeah, which you can also add into OneNote. Okay. Yeah, true. There yeah. is that. And then from there, like, what is the planning process like for you? Or was there an events team that would put that together? Um, like, how do you sort of like prep people for the conversation? What's that process like? So we had a very structured process mm -hmm. um, with a research phase where you already would sign in some speakers with a P1 deadline program, first program ready deadline mm -hmm. at the end of the research phase. Mm -hmm. Then you would start um, have an advisory board mm -hmm. uh, meeting. So a couple high level people within the industry that you bring together to discuss the program. And then you will get new ideas based on what are the gaps within the program, what mm -hmm. challenges aren't answered yet, and mm -hmm. what kind of industries are we missing, uh, or what type of companies. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, you can build further and kind of uh, finish it. But I would start with an event nine months in advance. Wow. So you the would baby. have... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is like a baby. Yeah. Honestly, when when it's done, you're exhausted and happy. Right. <laughs> and unlike a baby, you don't have to take care of it anymore. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Um, so then how have you vetted new speakers that don't already have any online or recorded speaking engagements? So... You never know really how they're going to turn out, but the best practice is just talking to them on the phone, mm -hmm. going by and sitting in a meeting with them. Just get an idea about who they are, how they speak, yeah. how their kind of body language is. Mm -hmm. Are they kind of are, are they kind of shy or are they outgoing? Yeah. Um, so that would be really helpful. Just to, to speak with them and to talk with them about the topic which you want them to speak on. Mm -hmm. Kind of challenge them by asking them a bit harder questions or a bit controversial questions. And if they can respond to that well, then... Yeah. And 
is it an awkward conversation if you've had to say, hey, I don't think you're a good fit? Or because I just imagine I dread the day that will come someday when I ask someone to be on the podcast and then we get on the phone. Like you and I got on the phone before this. Mm -hmm. And then to get on the phone and go like, oh, I actually don't want this person on my podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what's some wording that you found that um, that was good to say like, hey, maybe you're not the right fit for this? without feeling offensive? So if I'm not sure about somebody, I would never invite them straight out. Yeah. I would just say like, hey, let's talk on the phone to see like if you might be the right person yeah. to join us. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have the right story to contribute. And yeah. then you get the opportunity to first kind of check them out and kind of talk with them. and yeah. And figure out what their story is and who they are as a person. Mm -hmm. But then still you can make the wrong decision. Yeah. Sometimes it happens. And we yeah. all have off days. Like I imagine mm -hmm. pe there have been people across a variety of speaking engagements who maybe on a different day would have been perfect. Mm -hmm. But then their nerves or family situation or they're tired or whatever mm -hmm. it may be can really make for a bad output. I think it's very cool that of all the topics that you have been around a lot, that the topics that you've been around are AI and robotics, because that means that you've gotten to be at sort of the forefront of where a lot of our technology is headed. And as we know, like technology impacts everything about our lives. Yeah. Um, what, and I know this isn't necessarily related to your job, but what are you the most excited about after hearing the conversations that you've heard? Well, so I come from a doctor's family. Mm -hmm. Like medical? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My, both my parents are GPs. My mm -hmm. grandfather's GP. His oh, wow. father was GP. My brother is in like health policy and economics. So, really? Yeah. So I really come from a medical family. Mm -hmm. And I think like the tools that AI are going to give us, mm -hmm. for example, um, you can, with image recognition, you could just scan a mold or something like that. And it mm -hmm. can give you with such a high probability, uh, the outcome of what that mold might be. Like and what? Like, can you give me an example? You mean mold like a... Like a mole. Oh, a mole. A mole, yeah. <laughs> like mole skin. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like potential skin cancer moles. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it can provide tools to uh, increase the probability of right diagnosis. Yeah. And, and even proper self-diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Like imagine oh. the appointment saved if yeah. there was an app that you could just scan your own mole. Although I do think that self-diagnosis is really tricky because it really stimulates kind of, uh, what's it called? Uh, um, not hypothermia. <laughs> it's the other thing. Hypochondria. Yes. <laughs> That I, well, thing. but that's, I sort of mean it in with that same concern is that then instead of people freaking out and going like, oh, I have moles, I need to go to the doctor, mm -hmm. that they could then calm their own nerves and scan it and be told like by an app or whatever, mm -hmm. actually, this is a very normal mole if it, you know, yeah. it gets weirdly shaped or whatever, X, yeah. Y, Z. And rather than, because, you know, you'll see people who Google like what a bad mole looks like mm -hmm. and then they sort of like insist that theirs is bad even though it doesn't meet the criteria yeah. but if there was a two-way conversation versus that one-way conversation where they 
could scan it. Mm-hmm. That would really like spare just a sort of a lot of money spent. Yeah, definitely. And doctor's time used that like th- those appointments could be better used for somebody who it does have a chronic condition. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know, are doctor's appointments hard to get here? Um, not a GP appointment, but a okay. specialist, yes. Yeah. Or for example, um, mental health care, there's big waiting list for those. Really? Which is probably the worst thing to have a wait list for. Yeah, I guess so. Like, if you think about the state that you're in, if you really need to see a mental health care professional, mm-hmm. like, yeah. waiting they, a month is probably not the thing you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of, like, um, prioritizations. So if you're really suicidal or anything like that, then you you don't have a waiting list. Oh, well, or you don't good. have to end up on a waiting list. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, just I know it's really difficult a lot of times to get a doctor's appointment in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they take forever. So I just think that, yeah, that's that's a good, yeah, I could see why you're excited about that. And what else? Um, self-driving cars. Yes. <laughs> Can't wait for those. Agreed. Uh, I mean. Have you been in any? No, I haven't. Not yet. Um, my chairman for the AI uh, conference, like the European Business AI and Robotics Conference, he had one, but I was too scared to ask him if I could t- take it for a spin. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, he wouldn't. His car would take you first. Yeah, right? I guess so. Yeah. 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 Uh, but just like that's just sounds amazing that we don't have to own cars. We don't have traffic jams anymore. We, just, we don't have to pay for parking spots yeah. and all those kinds of things that are clutter up our city. Yeah. Those can be kind of... And the reduction, gone. like the safety factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know everybody has their concerns about it and things they may not see. However, I would venture to say that people cause more accidents. Definitely. And so we would all like to think, like the, the point of an accident is that you don't know what's going to happen. So we would all like to think that we would have better, like better reaction timing mm-hmm. or we would have known better or whatever. But there is sort of like perhaps some cognitive dissonance there where people just don't, I don't know. It's, it's, an, it's not that dissimilar actually to the way that people uh, just assume that they would make better choices than other people in decisions. With like when you know they're in crisis or whatever, and so like it's all we had just assumed we would make a better choice than a robot, but um, you know most people aren't good stock investors for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> and we're com- not that good of decision makers. No, and computers don't panic. So yeah, exactly. They would keep the same calculations, the same exact calculations as uh, when when you're in an. Uh, or entering in a kind of car crash than yeah. when you're not. So, and humans would just, it's, it's a rea- reaction. It's a natural reaction to yeah. panic. Which we need. Yeah. Very useful in some situations, just not when it comes to cars, typically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Better for being chased by a lion yeah. than necessarily <laughs> driving and operating a car. Yeah, definitely. So with your role at Future Factor, um, what have what have you learned so far in your six months there? So I'm learning a lot about the kind of creative industry, um, about um, about the way that that 
kind of industry is at the forefront of what's happening mm -hmm. in uh, in the world. Mm -hmm. what it ways? seems like, um, in terms of talking about innovations, talking about diversity, talking mm -hmm. about brand purpose, I feel like the creative industry is very much in touch with culture, mm -hmm. with modern culture. Yeah. And is very much connected to it. Well, they have sort of like a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Like they're both driving each other, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I do believe at the core of innovation is creativity. Mm -hmm. So you can't innovate if you can't be creative and you can't think of different kind of ways to, to do something differently mm -hmm. or to figure out a need and what kind of possible answers would be to that need. Yeah. What specific projects or creatives come to mind when you say that? So I think, for example, Nike is very innovative in the way that they communicate. Mm -hmm. uh, they're very kind of diverse in their communication. Um, they had like platforms, digital platforms, uh, before any other kind of retailer had that mm -hmm. uh, to customize or build your own product yeah um they're also they have a very clear sense of purpose mm -hmm. to inspire every athlete yeah uh actually i don't know if that first part i think that vans might have done that before nike really yeah i think Ooh. that vans let you customize your own vans before nike had nike id oh that could be i could be wrong and maybe that's me being like southern california centric but I was pretty into shoes in high school. And I remember very vividly that you could customize Vans and you, like Vans is this shoe brand, but then also Scion let you customize Scions mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Okay, let's look it up. And, I'll look and, it up and, and I'll get to the bottom of this. But I, I agree with you because in addition to the Nike ID, they also like their sneaker app and then Nike Run Club, which is free, Nike Training Club. Like those are all mm -hmm. sort of to me they're communicating with you in a way. But then with Nike Nike Run Club, you can like see what your friends are doing and stuff like that. And you can message your friends. And I think that one of the most beautiful sort of moments I ever had with a brand was I was at the gym and I was doing a Nike training club video. And these two girls came in, you know, in just like the free room in the gym where it's sort of like a yoga studio, but when it's not in use, you can do whatever in it. And these girls came in and I saw what they were doing and they were also doing Nike Training Club and then we all just did it together. It was like very, very cute. So yeah, I, I definitely hear you on that. Um, and who else do you think is doing a good job? Or like, is, is there a specific campaign you've seen that was really impressive? Well, so since I started working at Future Factor and uh, I went to Cannes this year and oh, uh, I saw like a bunch of um can rewarded campaigns oh yeah all the tear jerkers yeah i didn't <laughs> know that like advertising could make me cry but the dream crazy campaign from nike is so oh, emotionally touching god i know it's beautiful yeah it is really beautiful they there's a lot of tear jerking ads out there definitely yeah, yeah. um so on Actually, now that we're talking about ads, that I started thinking about um, the panel that you were moderating at ADE. Mm -hmm. Or is it ADE? 
Yeah, ADE, okay. Amsterdam Dance Event. That's what it is. I like messed up the, the letters earlier today and I had to correct myself. So thank you. Um, I looked up the panel that you were on actually today and I have been withholding this during our conversation before this. All in, trust me, this was like hard for me to hold back when we got coffee. But I noticed that one of my friends was on the panel that you were moderating. Really? Yes, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Head of music supervision at, uh, at Microsoft. At Microsoft, yeah, yeah. which um, we've been friends for a while, and we have similar friend groups. And I knew he was in music, and mm -hmm. he hosts, like, a, at least one very, like, popular, um, like, radio show in mm -hmm. Seattle. I thought that that was his main job. I had no idea that he was the head of music yeah. supervision at Microsoft. Like, I didn't know he even worked at Microsoft. <laughs> I just knew he was here also for ADE. Mm -hmm. And then we were both too busy and didn't meet up. And so then I looked, I texted him today. I was like, oh, you were on this panel and also, like, you work at Microsoft? <laughs> like, I had no idea. Um, and we've known each other for probably, like, four or five years, which is hysterical. Nice. So um, that was about Article 13, which is around IP. Yeah. How did that go? Yeah, so it's actually called Article 17 now. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's really weird. That kind is of very weird. Sneaky move by the government trying mm -hmm. to detract attention from it or okay. something by renumbering it. So it's now called Article 17. But yeah, um, legal is not really my area of expertise, mm -hmm. but um, I was just super excited to get involved with ADE. So. Uh, so how did you prepare for that? Because I imagine that you, I mean, I was very impressed. You're probably the most, I guess, like uh, diligent about making sure you're like prepared for this. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody else has definitely taken interest in like prepared, but I think you were, you, you may be the only person I've talked to on the phone prior to recording. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like typically it's been very much like via email and we like talk for the first time. Oh, yeah, wow. so it was, and I was actually really glad, and mostly it's because I'm too shy to ask for a phone call a oh. lot of times, um, so it was good practice for me, mm -hmm. so I imagine if you were that diligent about this, which is, like, not necessarily work-related for you, and it's not in front of people, right, like, this is hidden behind, like, speakers, mm -hmm. that you were probably very diligent in researching for for the the panel, which you, you know, isn't your expertise. How did you... How did you research for that? Like, did you t talk to any thought leaders in the space first? Um, I did online research mostly. Mm -hmm. um, just reading a bunch of Wired articles, totally. watching videos on it. Yeah. And then mind mapping. That's mm -hmm. like my thing. If I mean, I'm, do you use the do you use the mind Meister tool? No, I do it like on paper oh, with okay. felt pens and colored pens. Yeah, no, I really like like your notebook. My notebook I could show you later. It's full of doodles and that's awesome. Colored kind of section tabs and all that. So that's awesome. I love it. I take like these big A3 piece of paper and a box of colored pens mm -hmm. and then I well I did research on what it was try right. to explain be able to explain it simply to other people and mm -hmm. then once I know that if I can explain something simply to another person yeah then I understand it well enough yeah and then kind of research what are the pros and what are the cons so you can yeah. Play devil's advocate, basically. Yeah. Like before we were discussing, people shouldn't agree with each other. And then the moderator, if they don't agree yeah. with the people on the panel, if they all agree, then you can get a bit 
both sides of the discussion. It becomes tricky when things are sort of like, hey, this is an attack on creative and any other opinion isn't allowed. So what were some compelling sort of each side of the argument that you found for this? Well, the compelling side of the pro argument is that it's better for the artist mm -hmm. because the artist is going to be more equally compensated. Right. And that's what I found, find the most compelling argument. Agreed. Yeah. Um, what about the other side? The other side... So they're afraid that it's going to uh, put a break or put a stop to user-generated content. Mm. So a lot of content is going to be wrongfully blocked like due to TikTok and things like that. Um, I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, it's, um, do you remember the app Musical.ly? No. They probably don't comply with like EU standards mm -hmm. um, because TikTok is owned by a company I think called ByteDance. I could be wrong on that. That's Beijing based. Mm -hmm. But it's like all the videos of teenagers that you see that are like lip syncing to their favorite song. Right. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. Then, uh, because of Article 17, mm -hmm. um, the artist should get compensated uh, for the use of that song in that video. As you're leaving this conversation, you're obviously speaking to, because I know it was Kyle and there were, I think, two... There was a mu music publisher uh -huh. uh, from a French uh, music publishing company. Right. And then there were two lawyers. Two lawyers. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so, with that then was there room for audience questions at the end? Yeah, definitely, yeah. How did you, because uh, I've seen audience questions go very haywire, as I'm sure all mm -hmm. of us have. Yeah. <laughs> In your experience, what have been some of the best ways to preemptively get people to like really get to their question or be like brief and to the point? So to be honest, I wouldn't give them a microphone. Okay. <laughs> step one. Yeah, step one, don't. Give them a microphone to hold in their hand. Just tiny index cards <laughs> that only a one sentence can fit on. <laughs> yeah. Or just if you hold the microphone, keep holding the microphone, then you can like have the risk of pulling she's, away. She's gesturing, like taking a microphone away from somebody. Yeah. <laughs> or I really like Slido. What's that? So Slido is a conference tool where people on their phone can log in to mm -hmm. uh, a certain room and then they can send questions in digitally. Mm -hmm. And then also other people can vote on that question. Mm. So then the question that's most voted, it's at the top. So then are you seeing those questions as the moderator or do you have sort of like a background moderator who's looking at that and bringing them to you? Because I imagine you also want to be engaged in the conversation as it's happening yeah. rather than checking a device. Yeah, usually the, the questions would be uh, handed, handed to the moderator. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I've had conferences where like a seminar hall manager, for example, checks the questions mm -hmm. and then gives them to the moderator uh, when the time for Q&A, audience Q&A is there. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So did you get, uh, I don't know, did you have a good experience overall? Like, Yeah, I mean, it's super fun to do. I really yeah. like doing it. Was that it. your first time moderating? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, moderating a panel discussion. I've done like hosting a day or a stage, like right. being the chairperson for yeah. that day uh, for internal uh, events and like opening mm -hmm. uh, an event with um, just saying a welcome word and 
things like that, but yeah. not really moderating the way I did with ADE. And so then did you go to any other panels or um, like talks at ADE? Yeah, I saw a really interesting talk um, in the morning about kind of uh, well-being mm -hmm. uh, as an artist. So mm -hmm. if you're touring, if you're a DJ and you're touring and you're playing late night shows all over the world and how do you kind of stay healthy? Did you know that that's an ongoing topic on this podcast for artists? Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's something I talked to like, artists about who are on tour. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so who was speaking? Um, so I can't remember exactly, but it was moderated by a woman called Claire Wright. Okay. Uh, who is working on a really cool new app um, that's also focused on well-being in mm -hmm. the dance and the music industry. Uh, and then uh, there was, I think, a psychologist. Oh, cool. Uh, and a Dutch, really well-known Dutch DJ, Ferry Gorsta. Okay. Uh, and one other person, but I, oh yeah, I think she was running, um, she was running a kind of artist collective agency that manage maybe manage the artist or something like they they focus on keeping them healthy oh in interesting case. okay yeah. that's really yeah it's it's been cool to watch that rise just across industries because it used to be you know unless you were super famous it wasn't on your mind and then athletes would have people like that mm -hmm. but um i was in china for league of legends world championships which is like a computer game mm -hmm. and they actually had a like riot has a fitness trainer in-house to work with like the pros and their team. So like somebody that would like take them all on runs and like mm -hmm. make sure they're eating healthy and like do workouts with them and stuff. So it was crazy to see that like in esports specifically. Mm -hmm. And then definitely um, I've noticed it become, well, and I think also it's our age that like if you have friends in music and you're all encroaching on your 30s, people are starting to see their bodies fall apart. And, you know, peers die or be hospitalized mm -hmm. because of the way that they're living their lives. I, um, Tommy Sunshine was supposed to be on. Um, I think that's his name. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that sound right? He's like a DJ. Yeah. And he's, I want to say in his forties, cause we have some mutual friends and they're all in their forties and he's sober. And so we're, we'll record when I'm back in LA, but we were going to try and record when he was here for ADE. Right. And it just didn't work out to talk about kind of like the journey being sober on the road and stuff because that's something that's not common. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it doesn't only apply to artists, you know? Right. Like businessmen all the time. Yeah. I don't know why I said businessmen, but like if you travel a lot for work, period, Definitely. it's really easy for people to get like develop addictions and hide them. Yeah. And I feel like work-life balance is something that we're all struggling a lot with. Yeah. And mental well-being, pushing yourself uh, to be successful at your job, but not only at your job, also have a big social network mm -hmm. and then have a lot of new experiences. And this is just our generation is fueled by social media. Like everybody's lives is just amazing. That's what you're constantly getting through right. social media, which creates kind of a pressure to have the same thing and also be successful at your job and yeah and and, and have a lot of friends and, and experiences because when we are like if you think about it our parents and generations before us didn't really ever have to like define themselves they could just exist but when you have to fill out a bio right like when you think about the first time you ever made an online profile 
there's an about me section. And then you're like, oh, I have to write about myself. Am I a funny person? Mm-hmm. Do I just write my age? Like, is my age a character trait? Right? Like, yeah. How do you... So I don't think it's that... When You know, you hear people say, like, well, our generation, like, our work wasn't our life. And it's like, yeah, but I need to put something about my life in this box, whether it's on my Instagram profile or LinkedIn or Tinder or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And so when you have to define yourself that way, then also you find yourself living in a way that lives up to that because you're like, oh, but I said I like hiking. I bet when was the last time I actually went hiking? Or I said that I do this and, like, that's who I am now. So then as you change, you literally are sort of forced in a way to then like reconcile that in a tangible way with your online profiles. Yeah. And like then the whole world knows your job title. And that's when people can compare like, oh, she's a director. I'm only a manager. Like people start thinking of things that way. Like, why am I not as far in my career as she is? But that's not like we wouldn't be doing that if we were just not creating those about me sections and like what's your job and things like that online you would be having more human conversations like oh you're a director what's your role like da 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 how is that like and then we may realize like oh you've actually worked a lot harder than I have Mm -hmm. like no wonder why you got that role and I'm over here as like an associate or a manager or whatever or you may go like oh actually that means a different thing in the different organizations that we're in yeah That happens a lot. Totally. I was at an event recently and they had this practice, like go up to a person and introduce yourself, Mm -hmm. but you can't say your name or Mm -hmm. your job or like the uh, relationship, uh, the way that you came in here, why Mm -hmm. you came in here. That's good. Yeah. There's, there's like a guy who puts on famous dinner parties that that's his rule also. Cool. He, but so he curates these dinner parties with like, you know, really smart, intelligent people, but mm-hmm. he has the same role. Oh, yeah. And I think that it's a good way to sort of like strip out a lot of the, um, what is sometimes sort of like a pissing contest, mm-hmm. but it's also sometimes I've realized people just literally don't know what else to say. Yeah. Like they're not trying to say like, oh, I'm important. There's just, it's more of like a, ah, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> like when you talk to little kids and people ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like we just don't know what else to talk to little kids about. Mm-hmm. When a little kid would be totally fine being left alone and you're not asking them any questions, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. yeah. What do you think is the uh, most difficult part about your job? Whew. Um, I think... Building lasting connections Mm -hmm. is always tricky Mm -hmm. because with some people you have a natural rapport, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's super easy to build a relationship from that. Mm -hmm. But then when you have other people that you don't have that natural connection, then you still have to try to build it. Mm -hmm. So that is really hard. Yeah. And also, I mean, in any job, time management prioritization is totally super complicated always especially if you're communicating with people across time zones oh yeah (laughs) oh my I'm working so much with LA now and just between 5 and 7 p.m is always so full right because that's five is when they wake up yeah so they have maybe one or two hours yeah to communicate with them yeah it's a very and I've worked with like when I was living in Seattle um for a while, one of my main clients was in Taiwan, 
And that time difference is very similar. And so it ends up when you're in a time crunch, you end up being either pulling really wild hours or everything's getting, getting done too slow because you send something over, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get the response until the next day, maybe mm-hmm. the day after. And mm-hmm. it can really just elongate communication processes. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you found also, if you don't want to answer this, it's fine. And I can just cut this part out. Mm-hmm. But have you found being a woman mostly dealing in um, like tech worlds with this? Have you found um, that people make assumptions about you that are not true or like don't treat you with as much respect for not being on the technical side? Like, have you found that to be sort of a an odd space to navigate in that way, or I guess challenging space to navigate? Um, I haven't experienced it as challenging, but mm-hmm. people do assume that I'm not on the technical side. Mm-hmm. And people do assume that I don't know that much about technology. Mm-hmm. So I guess in that sense, it's kind of, it can be tough to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could also be an ageist thing. Right. It's not necessarily uh, sexist per se. Right. But could also be ageist. I've noticed... And a combination of age and gender. Yeah. Being a younger woman specifically. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely in my old job when I was communicating with super C-level people that are in their 50s. And yeah, they have a tendency to think like, oh, who's this Twinkie, you know? Yeah. Definitely. I have never heard that word before. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, What do you find the most rewarding part of your work? Um, I really like that I work on a project basis. So you work towards a certain event or a certain panel discussion or a certain kind of launch or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're at the event and you see everything that you've been working on come to life. Mm -hmm. That is just, can feel so euphoric. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What to you, I guess like how are your events defined as, like what defines success now in the events that you do? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I guess if a lot of people come Mm -hmm. and if connections are made, Mm-hmm. That you didn't have prior. Yeah. Um, if you get a lot of good feedback, although word of mouth feedback is not really trustworthy because people will tell you to your face like, oh, it was so good. and Oh, that kind of feedback. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, mm, I tend to lean more towards the numbers. Do you do anonymous surveys ever? In my previous job, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And then... Actually, this is something I was thinking about, and I don't know if I messaged you about it or if I was just thinking about it, but for events here, is it mostly, like, do you do it on Eventbrite? Like, is that more popular? Are Facebook events more popular? Like, digital promotions and RSVPs? Like, what is sort of the go-to for spreading the word about events here? So, we do use Eventbrite, um, Mm -hmm. but it's not as big as in the U.S., Mm-hmm. Um, I did think about this and I, I have to say I'm not 100% sure mm. uh, in my previous job it was invitation only so we didn't do really marketing Oh, okay. so we just called people up to 
invite them to come right or send emails specifically to them because we want to qualify that only decision makers only like c-level people come right um and now the events that we go to and that are kind of high on the um on the wish wish list of clients are events that have a reputation within the industry so people mm -hmm. know about those anyways mm -hmm. they would be subscribed to like a newsletter of mm -hmm. that event so that you know when a speaker lineup is out yeah um things like that that makes a lot of sense i guess we use linkedin a lot to promote right. business events yeah um let me just browse here real quick i think that we've covered everything so well and i can cut this part out also is there anything that you want to talk about that you feel like we didn't cover um so we were talking a little bit about um mental health mm -hmm. and about pushing yourself yeah uh and i just see a lot of people around me that are pushing themselves really hard and that they want to achieve everything at the same time mm -hmm. right yeah when you start your first job you want to be successful immediately basically you immediately want to have your dream job yeah and then once you get your first job uh, people are very ambitious mm -hmm. uh, and then that's only work and then people are also I know from from my own experience and from a lot of friends that I see around me that they also try to achieve in sports, like be very fit and yeah. and have a big network of friends and have a lot of experiences. And I really learned last year the hard way that you can't achieve everything at the same time. Yeah. And that you can't kind of focus on everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. So... I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's really important to try to focus on one thing at at a time. Yeah. And and not be so hard on yourself to make everything happen at the same time. Yeah. Well, sometimes because I definitely am guilty of the same. Mm -hmm. Um and it took me a while to really digest the advice that my friend Trevor gave me. Well, and, it, and in fact I'd heard it before, but when he said it to me it really stuck. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen him grow in a variety of ways over the years and challenge himself and go from um, just different, he's just learned a lot over the years, like from learning, like learning Chinese and Spanish to learning more about coding. And like, he's just done and absorbed so much information and that he was like, you just have to break everything down into baby steps. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so you could hear that every day. And then someday it might just stick. Like, it didn't stick for me until uh, my late 20s. And then when he said that to me, granted, I'd heard it many times, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. I can't. I mean, I play drums, like we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And if I don't practice for six months, I can't sit down and be as good as I was a year ago. Mm -hmm. So even if I just practice 10 or 15 minutes a day, that's, you know, progress. Yeah. But I used to be so hard on myself and be like, well, you need to sit down and practice for an hour. Well, like you haven't flexed that muscle in a long time. Mm -hmm. Like I've ran a marathon too. And I certainly could not go out tomorrow and comfortably run a marathon. Like I would chip away at it if it were a fitness goal. Mm -hmm. So why would I not chip away at it in terms of learning something or whatever that may be? So I think just your, and also the other sort of thing I spin up in my head, like 
you know, you can't do everything all at once is like, oh, if I did everything that I wanted to accomplish next year, then what would I do? <laughs> right? Like, what am I yeah. supposed to do? I'm 30. Probably everyone in my family, all the women live for forever. Like my great grandmother lived to be a hundred. Wow. My grandmother's 89. My other grandma's in her seventies. Like, what am I going to do for the next 50 years? Yeah. <laughs> like baby steps. Right. Exactly. Like it's okay to take baby steps and give yourself time. And when you feel, you know, like the moon cycles and we all, also have cycles of productivity and then needing rest. And mm-hmm. so yes. have you read The Artist's Way? Did you do that book at all? No. Oh my God, you have to do it. I should. You you definitely should. Like I will send you a copy of it. It's that <laughs> it's that impactful. Wow. Because it really helps you just um, give yourself the space to experiment and like realize that doing things wrong is also part of growth, Mm -hmm. right? Like we didn't learn how to walk or read or talk properly overnight. Mm -hmm. So why would we suddenly become brilliant at any one thing over time? Like it takes time and that's okay. Yeah, definitely. It's literally fine to do that. So no, I think that you're right. What is there, um, are there apps or anything that you did to kind of help reset your mindset around that subject? Uh, no apps so no phone (laughs) good I'm happy to hear that definitely just like shut off your phone for a day Mm -hmm. don't look at your phone because your phone is such a source of so many impulses yeah it's very Pavlovian yeah and it's very kind of messes up your brain a bit it does so sometimes you need a break and then let people get pissed at you for not responding for two hours yeah Because if you had a house phone, they wouldn't be complaining. No, exactly. Like, yeah, it's really, I think those boundaries and setting, giving yourself the boundary of like, oh, I don't need to get back to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the emergency number here is, but I always tell when people say like, how could you, because my phone is on airplane mode from 4 p.m. every day until Mm -hmm. noon the next day. Oh, wow. And so, or it's on do not disturb, but I keep it on airplane mode Mm -hmm. basically all the time also. (laughs) And so... Um, when people get upset and go like, well, what if there's an emergency? I'm like, well, then you should definitely call 911. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's 112 here. But yeah, right. Exactly. Good... Call 112. Um, and there's, I wish I knew it off the top of my head, but I read recently a really great out of office message from an account manager at an agency where they set the standard with account managers that like when they're gone, they say, I'm out of office. If there's an emergency, like it's probably not an emergency or something to that yeah, effect. Yeah, yeah. Like basically just you have no reason to be contacting me while mm-hmm. I'm on vacation. Um, and so is there anything like did you start, I don't know, other than turning off your phone, was there anything else like kind of big lessons or sort of like mottos that you came to give yourself? So a super important one is listen to your body mm-hmm. because we can ignore that we're tired. Yes so well yeah I I was so far over my boundaries that I didn't even know where my boundaries were like yeah. in terms of physical does I'm super tired okay I'm gonna go for a run and then I'm and then I'm the same way yeah I was and exactly then I have some like energy that. but you're just like depleting your adrenaline yeah uh, gland totally and adrenal is that yeah I think that's the one is mm-hmm. adrenal. Yeah. Because I did this. Did you have adrenal fatigue? Yeah. Me too. 
Yeah. And it totally messed up mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Like, did you, sure. did you go to like a, a natural medicine person, like a like Chinese medicine uh, or anything? No, I went to a therapist, a oh, psychologist okay. and started taking magnesium is really good to, yes. and just sleep and do relax and restore yoga. Yes. Agreed. And not, that does not mean hot yoga for those of you listening. That does yes. not mean power yoga. That no. means the relax and restore yoga. Which, yes. Or just get a massage. Ah, uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um, so before before we wrap up, the yeah. last question I ask everybody is what is something you would want to hear a future behind the scenes episode about? So I got a little time to think about it because you were... Uh, so kind to let me know beforehand. Um, and I would really like to hear from a modern day guru. Oh, okay. So anyone particular? No, 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 none in particular. Just one with a lot of followers and that one that is still alive. Okay. Which... So like, who do you think of when you say modern day guru? Like, um, so I'm just starting to watch the series Wild Wild Country. Oh, yes. But that one's not alive. And I know my aunt is following so do you a mean guru. a cult leader? Not necessarily. <laughs> okay. It d- doesn't necessarily need to be a cult because then it's, well, it can be. It would be God, interesting would be as well. so fun. Yeah. I would love that. But also like just a Buddhist kind of yeah. guru or some somebody. Like how do you get into that? How do you become like a spiritual leader that's very interesting i mean i have a lot of opinions on how but (laughs) you should uh i don't know if they have hbo here do they uh you can but it's not on a cable network or anything okay well if you can find access to it on the Mm -hmm. world wide web somewhere yeah uh i definitely recommend watching the righteous gemstones okay it's amazing and it's hysterical and it's based on a mega church in texas i want to say oh wow I mean, that's like what the story is centered on. Like, it's not based on a true story, to my knowledge. But um, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with what a mega church is. But mm, um, not really. There's sort of these like enormous, like I would venture to say, multi-million-dollar church establishments where like the pastors are like broadcast across um, like popular like TV stations on the U.S. Like they have best-selling books. They go around like, you know, they go around and have like Tony Robbins like. They're Christian. Yeah. Christianity is still so big in the U.S. <laughs> it is still very big in the U.S. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just like so far from my bed. I was born Christian, but I feel like that's just that ship has sailed. It has disappeared into that's the abyss. Maybe the best like international difference shocking like conversation I've had with anybody (laughs) maybe and I've had a lot of like wow your country does what conversations with people over the course of my life and that may be my like favorite response ever (laughs) um yeah it is still quite quite uh big in the U.S. wow mega churches well I guess I mean you have the Vatican here so I guess I shouldn't be so surprised that is at least rooted in some semblance of tradition yeah like but still it's like it's that's multi-million dollars because some of these like there's some they're not quite mega churches but they're like really huge churches Mm -hmm. especially like in Orange County that are in these enormous warehouses like yeah wow yeah it's amazing it's amazing in like a 
in a certain type of way. Okay, well, a leader from a mega church, I would also be very much interested in. I will dig in. I have some, well, and I have some friends who I know go to sort of like celebrity, like spiritual advisors. I'll dig around and maybe I'll have a few different ones on because you have spurred a new category. Because like on this podcast, I have like sort of like an entertainment track where like you can listen to people across the entertainment industry where I have mm -hmm. like musicians and a stand-up comedian and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then I have strategists and CEOs and founders. So like you may have spurred a net new track. So yes. thank you for that. Um, well, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you online? Should they follow your LinkedIn? Are you a big Twitter user? Um, I'm not a big Twitter user, but I okay. do use Twitter. It's Irene Wintercorn. Okay. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's I-L-A Wintercorn um, is the, the handle. Perfect. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, super honored. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. Please be sure to find BTS Podcast across social media. Join the Facebook group where you can submit questions for upcoming guests, ask questions about previous episodes, or submit topics that you would like to hear covered. And a quick pro tip, I am a huge fan of Breaker. Breaker is absolutely amazing for listening to podcasts. They allow you to skip silences, create playlists. So if you find me, Lene Cook, on Breaker, you can follow me, which whatever, do it, don't. Either way is very much up to you. But definitely I would recommend looking at my playlists. I've compiled playlists around what it's like being a woman in male-dominated areas, and it's just called being, and then the woman emoji. I have a playlist called Mental Health that is a compilation of episodes that I've found very helpful in terms of my own mental health, as well as a playlist around futurism, a playlist around customer experience. Um, it's a really good way to see what people are listening to and get put onto different podcasts. I love their Skip Silences feature. I have saved probably days of my life using their Skip Silences feature. And again, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, use my promo codes for Hotel Tonight and Soothe. Again, that is LCOOK61 to save on your hotel booking with Hotel Tonight. You can just sign up and submit the promo code right away and then it will still apply someday when you go to book a hotel. Um, and then use code LZLRZ to save on your Soothe booking. Thank you for listening. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Betherum. Thank you, Ben. You can find him at soundcloud.com slash There is a link to that in the description of this podcast. And I hope you have a wonderful day.